Lord, we just look forward to hearing from you this morning. We can't express enough how awesome you are. And your love for us is so astounding. Thank you. Just bless the reading and teaching of your word, I pray. In your precious name, amen. Okay, we're looking at chapter 6, Disaster Averted, where there's people, there's problems. We'll get to that. Jared closed last Sunday. The apostles, they were severely beaten, commanded not to speak in the name of Jesus. Don't you love the way they responded? Remember Acts 5.29 and 41 through 42? They just simply says, hey, we ought to obey God rather than men. They departed from the presence of the council. And I like this, rejoicing. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They taught, they preached what we call the good news, the gospel. Think about this. Bottom line, what did they teach and preach? Wherever they were in God's word, they taught and they preached Jesus. The gospel is a person. The good news is that Jesus is alive. He's risen. Okay. He has. And that's what the early church experienced more, maybe more than any other group of people. Because they were right there when it all happened. And they knew without a doubt that their Savior was alive and that he was sitting at the right hand in the throne of glory. To them, it wasn't a creed. It wasn't a doctrine. It wasn't a do's and don'ts. Not a religion. It was a personal relationship with Jesus the Christ. Jesus said to them, he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I love the way J. Vernon McGee put it. This is what he says. He says, do you have him today? You either do or you don't. You're either a saint or an ain't. You either trust him or you don't trust him. Either he's your savior or you don't have a Savior. I, I love that Bible teacher. He's so focused on the Word and on Jesus every time he taught. 1 John 5.12 He who has the Son has life. He who has the Son has life. Do you have Jesus in your heart? All you have to do is just open your heart, invite him in. Oh, he so wants to be a part of your life in every detail. We were just talking this morning. Amy was sharing with me what's going on and praying for a friend and so forth. And she was just amazed at how the Lord's timing is always perfect. And the Lord just loves to be a part of our lives in so many ways. He wants to be a part and he wants to guide our steps and he wants to fill our lives with his presence. 
He who does not have the Son. Well, you don't have life. You're not going to experience what Jesus wants life to be for you. And then on top of that, there's eternal life. This is just getting started. The Bible says we can't even imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. Well, that was their message. On your notes, first one, the apostles did not cease to teach and preach Jesus Christ. It was all about him. It is all about him. And my prayer at Open Gate is that it will always be all about him. Chapter 6. This is interesting. What's the result of that type of teaching and preaching and living for Jesus, living with Jesus, him wanting him to be right in the middle of everything that's going on? What's going to happen? Well, now in those days, chapter 6, verse 1, when the number of the disciples was multiplying. Well, stop there. Think about that. Notice, have you noticed the mathematics in, in the book of Acts? In chapter 2, as they were getting started, it says, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And now, here in chapter 6, <clears throat> the number of disciples is being multiplied. What was going on? Well, I love 2 Timothy 2.2. It's a great picture of this multiplication process. What I believe was happening, and we'll get to it a little bit later in the message, is that God's people were coming alive. Jesus was filling their hearts, and they just couldn't keep him inside. They just had to be ministering to one another and reaching out to their friends, and Jesus was spilling over and touching others' lives. And that's what, <clears throat> that's what Paul is talking about here, 2 Timothy 2.2. And Paul says, The things that you've heard from me, among many witnesses, commit, <clears throat> commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So on your notes, the multiplication process. This is what it looks like. Paul taught and preached Jesus to Timothy. He discipled Timothy, took him under his wing. He spent time with him. And Timothy, Paul was Timothy's mentor. And then Timothy began to teach faithful men. And then these faithful men, their lives begin to multiply, and they, faithful men begin to teach others. And things just went crazy in a good way. So, who is your Paul? Do you have a Paul? Do you have somebody that you look up to? You, you, you talk to them and say, would you spend time with me? I'd like to learn more about Jesus. Or, are you a Timothy? Do you have a Timothy? Do you want to spend time helping somebody else get to know Jesus better? Are you being discipled? Being encouraged? Encouraging others? By the way, one of the main reasons that we be, are focusing on our life groups is that this is the place where we can begin to form those relationships. We have a, a Paul or we have a Timothy. We have opportunities and time to pray for, encourage, get to know one another, 
call somebody. How you doing? You mentioned this the other night when we met together. How's that going? We prayed for that. Whoa, really? The Lord answered that prayer? Man, that's when being the church really starts to get exciting. I can't encourage you enough to make a commitment to be a part of a life group. It's so important. So things couldn't be going better, right? The church is being multiplied. The, the, you know, it's being packed out. There's new people all the time. Couldn't be going better. Well, look at the second part of verse 1. It doesn't take long. And there arose a complaint. The church complaining? Really? You ever seen that? I have. Anyway, that's another story. No, it's not. It's this story. And arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. And the church was ministering to the needs of those around them, and especially the church family. And did you know that where there are people, there's going to be problems? And where the people are multiplied, the problems are going to be multiplied. So, I think that's why Peter was especially open to the word that the Lord had for him to share with his sheep, the church. Look at what Peter, uh, by the inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit, gives to the church, to us today. 1 Peter 4, 8-10. through 10. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. Fervent? That means really, really open your heart to love those who may be complaining or whatever it might be. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister to one another. Don't grumble about one another. Minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. This is an absolute key verse, key section for a growing church. You can do it. God's Word gives you the power to be what Christ is calling you to be, to love one another as Jesus loved us, and to minister to one another as God has given you gifts. Good advice, Peter. And they're about to put it into action here in the early church. Surfacing was a discrimination. Background about that. During the days of Alexander the Great, the culture, the style of dress, the philosophy of life, it permeated the then known world. And as the Jews had been kind of scattered, many of these Jews, they were, became known as Grecians or Hellenists, they began to adopt the new ways, the, the new style. The, the new focus on life. 
while the other Jews who kind of remained behind, they became the focus of Hebrews. And they held on to the old ways and the traditions. And they looked down upon these Jews that should be more traditional and more focused on the old ways. They're compromising. They're, they're second class. They're not following the outward you know, religion of our fathers and the traditions and the rules and, and rituals and regulations. Consequently, they started to become divided. And the early church was dealing with this. And they were wrestling with supposedly, well, these, this group, they're less spiritual <clears throat> than I am. And there was a problem that began to surface. Early days of my Christian walk, late 60s, early 70s, there was this group, they would begin to be called Jesus people. Calvary Chapel. And it really struck me what was going on in that group. And I, and I got pulled into that. And what I found is all the differences, all the discrimination, all of those kind of things that can happen in a church family just kind of faded away because they were Jesus people. And everything they taught and everything they practiced in their worship, it just was all about Jesus. And I was drawn into that. And a song that just touched my heart as a new believer that, that came from one of those more traditional churches. This little country church. People come in every day from miles around for meetings and for Sunday school, and it's very plain to see it's not the way it used to be. Preacher isn't talking about religion no more. Well, he just wants to praise the Lord. People aren't as stuffy as they were before. Well, they just want to praise the Lord. It's very plain to see it's not the way it used to be. They're talking about revival and the need for love. That little church, why, well, it's come alive. Working with each other for the common good putting all the past aside. By the way, this next part's my favorite. Long hair, short hair, Tyler, Tally, some coats and ties, people finally coming around, looking past the hair and straight into the eyes. People finally coming around. And it's very plain to see, praise God, it's not the way it used to be. Isn't that something? What the Lord's doing in our lives, in our church, what he's done these last 25 years. I couldn't, couldn't be more encouraged, more excited. And now Pastor Jared's here. think I'm a crazy guy. He's back there with the youth right now. Things are looking good for the future. I couldn't be more excited. Well, discrimination can take place in all kinds of subtle ways. 
We begin to look down on others. People are different. We used to talk about the 31 flavors. We're an ice cream church. You know, 31 flavors of people from every direction. How in the world are we going to get along? How is it going to work? It can't work. Well, not in the world's way. But Jesus is the glue that brings our hearts together. And without him, we don't have anything. With him, we have everything. Isn't that incredible what he has done? Here in Act 6, the church is multiplying. The storm clouds are forming. It could have just literally blown the whole thing apart. But disaster was averted because of the wise leadership and teaching and preaching and following Jesus by the apostles. So let's look at verse 2. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, Hey, time out. Enough of this bickering. It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. We don't want to get sidetracked from the key and main thing that we should be doing to make this the very church of the living God. You see, in your notes, the apostles, they were stretched too thin. They were being asked to do it all. Well, pastor, there's a problem. You need to take care of it. Well, if God has shown you there's a problem, maybe he's showing you that for a reason. Maybe he's put that on your heart. Maybe he wants to use you to minister. But these apostles, they were hammering out sound doctrine. They were teaching. They were preaching. They were fighting with the Sanhedrin. They were being scourged and beaten. And new believers, they're discipling. There's so much going on. And now they're supposed to wait tables too. It was just too much. A key verse came to mind as I was going through this section. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. And he himself gave some to be apostles. That's these guys that we're talking about right now prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers? Why does the Lord give those gifts to his church? Well, it's for the equipping of the saints. So the saints are there for the work of the ministry. The saints are there for the edifying of the body of Christ as Christ is the head, if you read further in that passage. And so the apostles, they share this wisdom, this leading from Jesus with the church. So here's what they say, verse 3. Grab your Bibles. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Have you ever been to a church business meeting? Some of them are crazy. 
Well, this business meeting was not crazy because it was all focused on Jesus. And I like that. Verse 4. But we'll give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word, the teaching and preaching Jesus. Huh. This saying pleased the whole multitude. Great idea. So the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And what's the main thing? Teaching, preaching, Jesus. The apostles said, yeah, widows are in need, but, but not just the, you know, the Hellenist widows, but the Hebrew widows, widows also. Our calling isn't the distribution of bread. Our calling is the distribution of the word of God and the bread of life, Jesus himself. Our call is teaching, preaching Jesus for the equipping of you guys so that you will step up and do the work of the ministry. Therefore, choose people whom you know. You you see Christ in them. What does that look like? Well, they're good men, they're godly men, they're gifted men, they're respected by the community. Let them take care of this matter. The word is equipping you to do the work of the ministry. Jesus is calling you and equipping you and gifting you to do the work of the ministry. So minister. By the way, have I ever shared with you that we're all ministers? Again, What a wonderful place to do the work of the ministry in a life group. Just so encourage you to check that out. How many one another verses are there in the Bible? Has anybody ever counted the one another verses? To love one another, to encourage one another, to minister to one another, on and on and on. Did you know that there's over a hundred one another verses? And that's what God is calling us to do for one another. So, we go on with verse 5. So they choose Stephen. What did they see about Stephen? Well, he was a man full of faith. In other words, he just loved Jesus. And he was full of the Holy Spirit. He just shined with Jesus in his heart and life. So, As you probably know, Stephen would become the first martyr. He would become a powerful Bible expositor. We'll see in the next chapter. Then they chose Philip. Philip went on to be known as an evangelist. He was the father of four daughters who were crazy about the Lord, who loved the Lord. And he ministered to others. He was a godly man whom God would use to spread the gospel to other lands. Remember, it's a passage that we often use when we do baptisms. The Spirit brought Philip in and he began to come alongside this Ethiopian leader. And what are you reading? Well, I'm reading out of Isaiah 
Well, do you know what it's about? No. Can anybody tell me? I'd love to share with you. And he began right there and shared Jesus with him. And he was baptized. And then Philip's gone, off and running. And then there's other guys who we finish verse 5. Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. He was a proselyte from Antioch. Now, this Nicholas guy, we're not sure that he's the one, but it's very possible he's the guy that Revelations 2 and 3 refers to. We might be mistaken, but he, you know, he might be a very faithful guy. He may continue to be faithful. There's evidence that maybe he veered into heresy. Where there are people, guess what? There's going to be what? Problems. That's why it's so imperative to keep the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing. It's all about Jesus. And then verse 6, we go on. Whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Now, as I've grown up in the church, most of the time we lay hands on and then pray. <laughs> we don't pray enough. These guys went about it differently. They prayed before the laying on of hands. That's where Paul said to Timothy, don't lay hands on too soon, too suddenly. Churches often today have a wrong focus. They look at church government, government, The way we've got our church set up, it's so important that we fill each of these uh, rigid structure to keep making this happen. And so we've got to get this filled. They compromise on the character to get the structure filled. But they got it backwards. The New Testament is much more flexible regarding structure. Your note's number five but unwavering when it comes to a leader's character. Seek out men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and the wisdom, the wisdom of Jesus. Jesus right in the middle, giving leadership, power, direction, focus. The result, look at verse 7, the result, when they get back on target, Then the word of God spread and the number of the disciples, whoa, they're back to multiplication again. That's the way it works. They multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. This verse should be highlighted, starred, underlined by anyone who's serious about following Jesus and excited about the church that Jesus is the head of. The secret to church growth and church health, ministry expansion, is simply feed the flock. Teach, preach the word in such a way that Jesus is the focus in everything you do. The word equips the sheep to be effective ministers. Healthy sheep reproduce. It's inevitable. 
That's what's happening here in the early church. And then there's a surprising note that's thrown in here at the end of verse 7. Look at this in your Bibles. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now remember, this is the early church. The priests had their duties, and their duties were all centered around the temple, and they ministered in the holy place, and then the high priest once a year would go from the holy place into the most holy place, the holy of holies. And so these priests were extremely familiar with this pattern that God gave to them for worship, and the pattern was of heaven itself. And the most holy place was the pattern of the throne of God himself. And if anyone went past the veil that was not supposed to be past the veil into the holy of holies, they would not make it out alive. The glory of the living God would take them home immediately. So these priests knew all about the temple. And think about this, on that Good Friday when Jesus was hanging on the cross of Calvary and heaven came down and Jesus breathed his last. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And into your hands I commit my spirit. And he dies. And the skies darken. Do you remember what happened in the temple itself? It says the veil of the temple was ripped from top to bottom. And this veil was 10 inches thick. It, was, it, 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 it took, I don't know, you know, 15 priests and so forth to get the thing set up. It was so heavy. And absolutely no way anyone can go behind the veil and live. And yet these priests that were maybe in the temple when it happened, or they heard about what happened in the temple, and then they went to see it, and they see that this veil, this curtain, was ripped from top to bottom when Jesus gave up his life and poured out his blood on Calvary. And they're going, whoa. And if that's not enough, then there's guys like maybe Moses, Joshua, Daniel, that says the graves were open on resurrection day. And they go, oh, hi, Moses. Moses! And these guys are cruising Jerusalem. Think about that. And these priests, they know all about this. No wonder a great number of priests came to Jesus. They saw with their own eyes that Jesus was for real. He was the Son of God, Messiah, Savior of the world. And they began to give their hearts to Him. They saw the torn veil. They heard about it. They watched all that went on. And I love in Hebrews chapter 10, how this truth just comes alive for us, the church of the living God. And so, dear brothers, 
Hebrews 10, 19, and 20, a New Living Translation. Brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place behind the curtain, the veil, because of the blood of Jesus, our sins are washed away. And we're eternally forgiven and cleansed by the blood of Christ. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain. It was torn from the top to the bottom. God tore it apart. Jesus obliterated the curtain. There's nothing standing between God and man because Jesus is the mediator and has made it possible for us to enter into heaven's throne room itself, the most holy place. Wow. It's a a great verse, again, to underline. The word of God spread, the number of disciples multiplied, a great many of the priests, they just obeyed Jesus now. They saw almost face to face the truth that happened that day in the temple. Next, Dr. Luke gives us an example of just how effective a well-fed, discipled sheep, how effective and how equipped to minister that sheep becomes. So now we look at Stephen, verse 8. So Stephen, full of faith, full of power, full of Jesus to overflowing, did great wonders and signs among the people. Remember Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus taught that those who are faithful in the little things, why they'll be given greater things to be a part of. So Stephen modeled this beautifully. He began serving tables. Not necessarily a a glorious position, not really an exalted ministry, but it was certainly something that needed to be done to minister to people who needed to be ministered to. And Stephen says, I'm your man. If that's what the Lord needs for me to do right now, I'm going to do it with my whole heart. And so there he goes. And now here, two verses later, while we see him so full of the word, so full of Jesus, so excited about teaching and preaching that the Lord does great wonders and signs, validating everything that, Pete, that Stephen is saying about Jesus. So Stephen went from being a table server to a powerful teacher and preacher of Jesus. Why? I think one of the key reasons, because he was just faithful in the little thing. Just loving the Lord. You want me to do what? Well, okay. I'm your man. And you want me, really? I don't know if I can do that, but if that's what you want, I'm going to give it a shot. And the Lord just led him, and he just became one of the early leaders of the church. But where there's people, where exciting things are going on for Jesus, 
There's going to be problems. There's going to be issues. Verse 9. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrian, um, those from Cilicia and Asia. Uh, Cilicia is Saul's, who we now know as Paul, his home territory. Tarsus was part of Cilicia. So they're disputing with Stephen. I'm thinking that Saul was right in the middle of that dispute because he was a teacher, a leader brought up by Gamaliel about the things of Judaism. He was all about that at that time. So they're disputing with Stephen. And it says, verse 10, they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. And they secretly induced men to say, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. So they come against Stephen, they're arguing, they're outgunned by Stephen, out, uh, his logic was indisputable, he kept teaching Jesus from the Old Testament, and they can't do anything to stop him, and finally what did they do? They're going to hurt him. They're going to bring lies against him. They attack him. Verse 12. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him. They seized him, and they brought him to the council. So now he's before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leadership, the religious council. The high priest is there. And they also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth, it was hard for them to even say Jesus' name, by the way, will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council looked steadily at him. Look at what they saw. They saw Stephen's face as the face of an angel. Stephen was so full of Jesus. He was just shining for him. C.H. Spurgeon, as he was teaching young pastors, he told them this, Men, when you teach on heaven, let there always be a glow on your face, a gleam in your eye, and a smile on your lips. When you teach on hell, your normal face will do. <laughs> and here's Stephen. He's looking to heaven. Jesus is alive. He's Messiah. And he's teaching from all the Old Testament scriptures and they can't prove him wrong. So what do they do? They attack him to try to shut him up. False accusations, lies, anger preceded the rocks that would soon come. Stephen's face reflected neither hatred nor horror or fear, but reflected heaven itself. 
Your last note, Stephen's face glowed with the wisdom and the love and the presence of Jesus. For me, this just kind of wraps up this whole chapter. It wraps up the idea that, hey, we have problems here. Go out and find you know, good men, good women, those that love the Lord, that are filled with the Spirit, that, that just want to be the men and women that Jesus is calling them to be. And somehow they know they can't do it on their own, but they need Jesus. And go out and get them, and get them ministering to others. So how do you get to that place where we find Stephen? Well, you spend time in the Word and you spend time with Jesus. So we're going to close our service. We didn't have, on the first Sunday of the month, because of Easter, we didn't have communion. But we're going to have communion today and just close focusing on Jesus. The communion table is the Lord's. It's not open gates. And if He's putting on your heart and inviting you to come to his table and to focus on him and to open your heart anew to him, he invites you to come to the table and to do this in remembrance of him. What's going to happen? Same thing that happened to Stephen. So as we pass out the communion elements, Take them and they're put together and you lift the top off and the bread is underneath and then you have the cup. Take those and just hold on to them until everyone is served and then we'll partake together. But while they're passing this out, thank you. I want you to look at this verse. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And it says, So all of us, all means all. When we see, when we look to Jesus, when we do this in remembrance of Him, when we get into the Word in the morning or we go to a life group or a Bible study or a church and we sing praises to Him, looking to Him, opening our hearts, whatever it might be. And we look to Jesus and we focus on Him. We begin to reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is Spirit, makes us more and more like Him like Jesus. We're being transformed from the inside out to become more like Him. It's not something we do. We make ourselves available and want to know Him better. And then He does the work inside of us. I was looking at the pictures in the foyer as you come in. And on on the side over there is a picture of Neil and Renee, and I can't remember the name of their dog. The dog was a pest. But there's Neil and Renee, and 
I can look at their faces from that picture just shining for Jesus. And that was the tone that was set for the Lord founding this church, just in love with Jesus. I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Thank you, Lord, for the stripes, for the beating, for the wounds all that you've done taking my place our place becoming sin for us that we might become your righteousness for eternity oh thank you in the same manner he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is a new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me.